Well, hey, it is great um, for me and Kelsey to be back here. Thank you, church. We just had a great staycation. We took seven work days and um, just hung around Beverly. And highlights for us were we got to go to a bed and breakfast in New Hampshire, um, just south of Keene, with, um, without the kids for 24 hours. Thank you, Megan Pelletier, for watching our kids for 24 hours. What a blessing. And I feel really bonded to my son. JD and I had some great hiking time, so it was just great to be together. So thank you, church, for affording um, your pastors and your staff vacation. Um, I have a little piece of data that I need to get from you. And um, today we are taking a departure. Um, you know, about six week, weeks ago, we started a series called Fizz. I'm talking about how we can be a fizzy church by sharing the gospel and inviting people into relationship with Christ. And the, the piece of information I need from you, I need to bring some data to our staff meeting. And basically, I want to know is, do you want to continue with this series? Um, and what I call to mind is, um, you know, we looked briefly at um, the five thresholds that um, a couple of authors who are InterVarsity guys um, uh, have um, kind of worked out as far as, hey, here's how someone comes to Christ. And if we, I just need to know if, are you wanting more info on that? Like, do you want us to go into more depth into those thresholds and what it looks like to continue sharing the gospel? Um, or are you kind of done with that and ready to move on? So I just, you know, this is one of these rare democratic moments in this church where I'm going to let you um, <clears throat> share kind of your opinion and then we'll take it to staff and kind of decide um, how, how we want to go from there. So, that's the question. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you'd like us to keep going with that Fizz series. Um, otherwise, knees to the ground. We'll see what God has next for us. Either way, it's knees to the ground, saying, Lord, what do you want? And Cullen is starting the voting, saying yes. So here we go. If you want more Fizz, just give me a, a, a hands up here. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't just raise your hand because that'd be weird. And what I need, so just keep it really high, 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 high. Okay, and um, let's see. John, can you just stand up and take a look with me? So we have two pairs of eyes looking at this. <coughs> I'm not really counting, but I just want to, okay, there you go, all right, so thank you so much, we'll take this data, we'll pray on Tuesday afternoon at staff meeting, we'll see where God leads us, amen, amen, okay, thank you Lord, you have a word for us today, we love you, and um, actually we do, we just bow the knee at your word, because it's your word that judges us, it's not us who judge the word, Jesus, you are the word. So, Lord, we ask, come by your power and your presence. And what we are desperate for this morning again is a word from the living God. We need your life. We need your grace. We need your peace. We need um, a fresh touch to know how to apprehend all that you've given us. The Bible says you've given us all we need for life and godliness. So just give us a little bit of what we need for life and godliness today. We need it so badly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People's pitfalls are so predictable, aren't they? People's pitfalls are so dang predictable. I call to mind the very thing we prayed for today, this scandal with the Secret Service. Think about it. Does it really come as a surprise that, um, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but there's a certain kind of person who's drawn to be a Secret Service agent. They're in a high-pressure situation. They are staying at a hotel in Cartagena, Colombia, where 
prostitution is allowed, you know, in this, in this neighborhood of the city in Colombia. And um, is it really a huge surprise? What I mean is, I don't think, I'm assuming this isn't the first time that people charged with protecting others, you know, secret service or other folks, you know, kind of federal agents. I'm assuming this isn't the first time that they've made a kind of a moral lapse. There's been a mistake here. They're away from their spouses. You know what I'm saying? People's pitfalls are, they're pretty predictable. What about this CEO that Fortune featured, I think about five years ago in 07? His name is Dominic Orr. This guy was a workaholic. Before he became CEO of a wireless services company, he worked at HP, Hewlett-Packard. Packard. Some of his coworkers at Hewlett-Packard would describe how on the Trans-Pacific flight, you know, whenever they were on business going to Asia, that he would work the entire time. And when he ran out of work, he would shuffle through his receipts, you know, to do his expense report. And then he'd come back. And sometimes coming back from Asia on a Saturday or Sunday, he'd go right to the office, directly to the office. So one morning, Dominic Orr has a typical breakfast meeting. And as usual, he's up and out of the house before his wife and kids are even awake, goes to breakfast meeting in the dark, comes back after the breakfast meeting to see one of his other cars, a luxury car, totally damaged, dented, glass broken, taillights put out. His 15-year-old son, the night before, had taken the fire poker, and when that broke, he took his own skateboard and just demolished his father's car. And in the interview about it, his son said, I just wanted to attack something that he cared about. Again, people's pitfalls are pretty predictable. You've got dad who's absent, workaholic. Is it a surprise? Sadly, his wife did divorce him. Happily, his son and he are reconciled. They spent three months together in Tokyo um, uh, just as he was on business so they could kind of recapture his relationship. Isn't that much of a surprise though when that happens? Or what about this one? You know, Congress is using its resources wonderfully again in uh, getting after Roger Clemens, you know? And um, <clears throat> yeah, okay. So is it a surprise that in the high-pressure world of pro sports, the guy's probably doped. You know, he's probably doping. Or Lance Armstrong, for that matter, cycling. Six, six um, Tour de France victories. Are we super surprised that he's in a doping investigation? Do you know what I'm saying? Are you with me? People's pitfalls are somewhat predictable. I don't think we're terribly surprised when these things go down. And so it is in your and my walk with the Lord. Our pitfalls are pretty predictable. The things that we wrestle with, the things that are difficult for us, they're not surprising to God. And and I think as we're going to find out, they're not too surprising for us. You know, what are your pitfalls? Do you find yourself unhappy with who you are, your identity, your role? You know, are you struck at times with envy at the life situations of other people? Their gifts, their calling, their situation. Maybe you're a housewife and you're saying, oh my gosh, kids, I'm stuck in the house. I wish my life was more like this. Or maybe in your own work situation, whatever the corporate ladder looks like for you, you wish you were further up or just 
slightly different company or a different situation. Or maybe you find yourself impatient with the Lord's provision in your life. You've prayed to God for financial help. You're asking God for a spouse, you know, relationally. Maybe a different situation with friends. It's not all, you know, not all six cylinders are firing in your relationships. You're wondering, God, where are you? Where's your provision? I prayed about this. I'm waiting for you, Lord. Where are you? Or maybe, like our friends in the Secret Service, there's just that besetting sin. In other words, there's some place in your life that you just have a difficult time saying no to, you know? Maybe it's over, overeating. Uh, maybe it's you're out of control with alcohol or other substances. Or maybe it is, a whether it's real or virtual, a sexual thing that you got going on and you have a trouble saying no to it. Again, these, these pitfalls are somewhat predictable and they're certainly not surprising to God. And so the great news this morning is we've got wonderful comfort from the scriptures regarding these pitfalls in particular. That God doesn't hang us out to dry with it, you know. Uh, We identify with the Secret Service, with Roger Clemens, with um, the overworked CEO. God's got comfort for us. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. Let's take a look at that comfort. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul is writing to a church that he planted, and he says this, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 1, we're going to go to 13. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied him, them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered all over the desert. Now, let, let me stop here at verse 6. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So Paul's saying, hey, We're going to look at some pitfalls and some challenges. Well, guess what? The Israelites, too, they had pitfalls and challenges. But the first thing Paul calls our attention to is this. It's not like they were um, without resources. These guys experienced some of the work of God as none other in history ever have and probably ever will. You know, if um, the people who work on population on the earth, they say that there's more people alive today than have ever been alive on the earth. So if we're at about 7 to 8 billion now, let's cap it at, on the history of planet Earth, there have been about 14 billion people maybe. And these few hundred thousand people in Israel, this is a large group that God moved, Exodus, out of Egypt, into the Promised Land, into Palestine, Israel today. These few hundred thousand, they witnessed the cloud. When Paul mentions the cloud there, they're talking about when God set up the tabernacle, God showed himself in a cloud by day, and it would be a pillar of fire at night. Wow, how's that for the manifest presence of God? These were the very same ones that experienced the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, come on. Can you honestly imagine that? I mean, have you ever seen, um, what's the Disney movie? Um, that's so great. Prince of Egypt? I mean, come on. I just, can you just imagine the, the walls of the you know, water are kind of separating. Being able to walk across at the bottom of this thing all the way through. 
These people experienced it, and yet they're the same ones. Though they had revelation, they didn't have the obedience and um, didn't make it. So here are you and me. We're here today. We've got all the benefits of Jesus Christ. You're filled with the Spirit of God. I'm assuming if you're a believer here, you've said yes, you've been sealed with the Spirit of God. Maybe you're asking for the Spirit of God in your life. That's wonderful. You got the Bible, you got the Word of God. We just have so many resources here. And yet, God's word to us is, gosh, if we don't pay attention, some of these same pitfalls are going to get us. Let's look at what the pitfalls are. Paul's going to name three of them, as we just mentioned three. So continuing in verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual morality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. Paul, the consummate historian, is recalling what event? This is from Exodus 32. If you remember in the history of kind of Israel, God was bringing his people from Egypt. He brought them to a mountain so Moses could receive the Ten Commandments, right? This is the first time the, the word of the Lord kind of comes to us in the Ten Commandments. It's powerful. But as Moses and the crew are up there getting it, the people, without their leader, start to rebel. Quickly, they rebel. They form a golden calf because they want something to worship. And then, it's really interesting, they move right very quickly from that idolatry then to this pagan revelry, basically a giant orgy, okay? And that path is also, I mean, we can sit here and go, gosh, that's so weird. They, you know, a calf, like, what are they doing? What's their problem? But, oh, please, don't you know, my heart is just as quick, you know, as yours, my heart is just as quick to worship something that does not need to be worshiped. So we mentioned just a couple of weeks ago at Easter, we talked about idolatry and just said how it's so funny that our heart is made to be filled by God and met by Him. And, and um, we find every other thing except God to kind of ease our pain or deal with our loneliness. And that's idolatry. And somehow, a lot of times, idolatry just leads right into sexual morality. Here's a pitfall Paul's addressing. And he says, man, in one day, 23,000 of them died, right? We, we don't want that. Okay, so there's one pitfall, idolatry. We worship that which is not meant to be worshiped. Paul breaks it down this way in another letter to a church that he'd never visited before, Romans 1. He says this, he says, hey, this is kind of the, this is how it goes. You, the, the line is like this, is hey, we don't give thanks to God, so we start worshiping everything in creation except the creator, and then we fall into all of our, our issues, you know? Is that it's timeless, you know? These things are predictable. The pitfalls are predictable. Nothing's changed in a few thousand years with human nature. It's the same. Okay, second pitfall. Second pitfall. Verse 9. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Okay, what is going on here? Again, Paul, consummate historian, theologian. He's recalling an instance in Numbers. Okay, the book of Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers really is, geographically speaking, Numbers is the story of from the Ten Commandments, from getting them to being on the edge of the promised land. Okay, actually, I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. okay, so kind of from uh, the desert there and um, getting the Ten Commandments all the way to getting to the promised land. 
Sorry. Powerful lights. It's the presence of the Lord. I'll just say, Jim and I worked it out. Lord. Okay. There we go. Okay. <laughs> the presence of the Lord came. Okay. Anyways. Not, I, don't, I don't have it yet. All right. There we go. <laughs> okay. So that's what's happened in Numbers. Okay. And in Numbers 21, we get this little, little picture there. It's around verses 4 to 8-ish. And the people are just grumbling because they're going through the desert. It's hard year upon year. They're really nervous because it's like day to day with water. And the food that God's giving them, this manna, it's miraculous, but they're getting kind of sick of it. It's like the same thing. And they start to complain. And that's where I call to mind. Again, we look at that and go, what's a big deal? I mean, they got heavenly food. Like, can't they just make it? What about you, though? Where are you not happy with God's provision in your life right now? What can you and I learn from numbers? We get the God's eye view that if they would just stay in the chute, I'll do this, they would stay in the chute. They are about to get to God's provision, right? God is wanting to bless them. God wants to bring them to the promised land. He wants to give them milk and honey. He wants to give them everything. It's, it's all in his heart, but he's just got to refine their character along the way. What about you? Where are you unhappy with God's provision for your life? Where are you unhappy with your situation? And how are you testing the Lord in it? Because what God does is he's so serious about their character, he sends venomous snakes. Some of them get bitten. Now they repent. In this one, they repent quickly. They say, oh, we've sinned because we've grumbled and complained. What should we do? Moses says, God, what should we do? And God says, make a snake. You know, Moses makes a snake out of bronze. And all they have to do is look at the snake and they are healed. And so it is with you and me. When we are frustrated with our lack of financial provision, when we're irritated with, God, where are you in my relationships? Or why is my life not unfolding like I'd like it to right now? We look to Christ and he's our provision. We look to Christ. Somewhere in there, and I'm not trying to make light of the reality of your pain or the reality of the situation, but somewhere in there, we just need to behold Christ and say, okay, you're enough. The ends aren't being met. I'm not paying all my bills, but Jesus, somehow you're enough. What are you doing through this? I'm waiting for my spouse. I've been on eHarmony a thousand times, not coming through. They're all creepers. What am I going to do, right? You say, okay, God, I trust you. I look to you, Christ, once again. That's a pitfall we're trying to avoid, the pitfall of grumbling or testing the Lord. Okay, third pitfall that that, um, Paul is taking from the experience of Israelites. Verse 10, he says, do not grumble as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. Ooh. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. <clears throat> it's funny. I just read this devotionally over my staycation and I thought, this will preach. This is good. I didn't think it was this heavy, but it is kind of heavy, isn't it? <laughs> it's good. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> yeah, we need it. I need it. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Okay. Again, Paul's reference here, again in Numbers, this is from Numbers 16. And this is kind of, um, you know, dealing with the fact that sometimes we grumble with where we're at in life, you know, envious of someone else. We don't have what he has or what she has. A guy named Korah. Korah is a Levite. In other words, he is in the priestly. The Levites are the ones who are called by God to be priests and servants in the house of God. Korah is a Levite, but he has just had it with the fact that Moses and Aaron are the ones calling the shots all the time. And he says, hey, you're not the only ones who are holy. We're holy too. 
He's got a couple of guys with him who are Reubenites. He's got um, Dathan and Abiram with him. I had a friend, by the way, who named, who's, I don't know, like a friend of a friend of a friend who named their son Dathan. And I thought, oh gosh, are you crazy? Are you, what are you inviting on yourself? Sorry, if any of you are named Dathan here, I bless you. God redeems you. And I just think, why, why would you name your son Dathan when he's a rebel? Okay, so Korah, Dathan, Abiram. They rebel against Moses and Aaron's authority, and they say, hey, we're holy too. Why are you guys calling the shots all the time? And of course, Moses, humble man that he is, is like, oh my goodness, what, you're just misunderstanding things. Moses was like, I didn't sign up for this. God put me here. God's the one who gave me and Aaron this authority. I didn't choose this. He's so humble. But Korah, you know, they're in their rebellion. They got 250 people with them. And so Moses says, okay, let's see who God chooses. And, um, and I honestly, uh, hmm, I, I was about to say I would have loved to have been there. I'm not sure. But my goodness, so how, how, God, how God shakes things down, shakes things down. he says, okay, guys, you gather, Korah and you 250 rebels, you guys gather, you guys be here, we'll be here, and let's see what God does. And I mean, it's, if you want some fun reading, just check out number 16. The earth opens up, and Korah and um, Dathan and uh, Abiram and their families, they get swallowed up whole by the earth. The earth opens up, they fall in, the earth covers up over them, and they are gone. What's the response of Israel at this time? Do they say, oh no, this is awful. Gosh, we'll get in line. They actually get mad at Moses. They're saying, Moses, what in the world are you doing? And a plague breaks out among them. I think that's what Paul's referencing. He references the destroying angel, This plague breaks out among them. And the only way that plague stops is because Aaron gets a censer. You know, the thing that if you've ever been to uh, maybe a higher higher church than this one, you know, they get the censer. They get the uh, smells going, smells and bells. And and, um, Aaron, which which I totally love smells and bells. I'm actually, anyways. So, and uh, Aaron prays and stops the plague. I just want to back, I want to go back to the Korah and Moses' main deal. His main deal is throwing off the restraints, saying, hey, we're holy too. What about you? Where, do you? where are you unhappy with either authority in your life? Where are you maybe jealous or envious of someone else's position, their authority, who they are, their identity, things like that? Where do you want to say, God, what about me too? That's the pitfall we're after. And it's so common. It's so predictable. I guarantee you, if you just get around the church a little bit, you're going to start feeling the push and pull in people's lives of, who has power and who does and how do we do it? Isn't it wonderful that Jesus just, he just destroyed that whole thing by saying, I'm going to get under everyone. I'm going to let everyone else, you know, I'll, I'll be killed. And in me totally yielding, God gets his way. Good lesson for us. If we'll totally yield, God gets his way and you'll be content. So here are the three pitfalls, right, that, that Paul says, these are ones you want to watch out for. Now, what does he say to them? What's our hope today? Because I did mention there's hope. I don't want to show it's coming. Here it is. Okay, verse 11. These things happen to them as examples and are written down as warnings for us. Again, we get the privilege a few thousand years later to say, okay, God, what are you saying to us through this? And check out this impartation of, of kind of validation on you. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Hey, don't be deceived. You are... Imago Dei, you are made in the image of God. You are created in his image, male and female. You're loved by him. But more than that, we 
as the church are the fulfillment of God's plan in the universe, okay? God has chosen to reveal himself through Jesus and now through the church. The fulfillment of the ages, in other words, like the climax of the story is happening through you and me. So if you're feeling invalidated today, I'm so sorry. I rebuke that. I repent, or you repent, and I just pour on you the truth of you are loved by God, created by God, and you have a special place in God's heart today as the church. Amen? Can you just receive that? Okay, if, you, if you're not sure, just check out Ephesians 2 and just bathe yourself in Ephesians 2. This is who I am in Christ. This is who God's made me to be. I'm seated with him in the heavenlies. Wow, Jesus is wanting to co-labor with me. He's allowed me to walk with him in all that God has for him. It's incredible the privilege that God's given you. The fulfillment of the ages is coming on you and me. So, because it's such a big deal, because you're a big deal, and because um, God said you're a big deal, he says this, verse 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay, just be wise. We've got some pitfalls here. And now comes the great promises of God for these pitfalls. Verse 13 is just a joy. It says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Let me read that again. Hear the promises. In the midst of the pitfalls, hear the promises. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. First thing God does when you and I are struggling with these possible pitfalls is he says, you're not alone. And honestly, that's half the battle, I think, with some of us. You are not alone. You may feel like you're alone in your marriage. You may feel like you're alone with whatever you're struggling with. The fact that a certain pitfall is so fun for you to drop into, you're not alone. And for some of you, it may just be the first step of letting someone into the fact that this is a pitfall for you, X, Y, and Z. You know, one of these three that we just mentioned in some way, shape, or form. You're not alone. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. People have dealt with it. They're dealing with it now. The pitfalls are predictable. Second part here. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, for some of us, again, I realize that may feel like a slap in the face. That my pain is too much or this temptation is too much. But God is saying, and his word is true, that you're not going to be tempted or challenged more than you can bear. At Baylor, Highland Baptist Church, a pastor there had a great saying. He said, it's all father-filtered. Okay, it's father-filtered. Whatever you're dealing with is father-filtered. Sure, it gets in that mystery. Is God the author of evil? No, he's not. But he's allowed in his sovereignty, he's allowed the enemy a time on the earth to wreak havoc, and we experience that at time, at times. And there's things in our life that are messed up, but it's not beyond what you can bear. That is the promise from God the Father. Amen? Receive that. Please let it soak in. I got an email from a precious brother who was going through a hard time personally, and he said this. He said, Jesus is asleep right now. I'm in the boat. You know, the wind and the waves are all about me. Jesus is asleep. And I'm okay with it. I'm not going to wake him. I'm going to trust in God right now. Okay, the allusion there to the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus. They're on this, in the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up and they're freaking out. And Jesus is asleep, right? And finally they wake him up. He's like, what's the big deal? Hush wind, hush storm. It all hushes. And Jesus' question to them is, hey, you know, this is no problem, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? 
That's a question for you and me. In our trials, can we believe that God's good, you know? In our pitfalls, can we believe that God's good? He is good. He's taking care of you. He's actively shepherding you. He may be asleep like it was with the disciples. It may feel like he's asleep, but he is actively shepherding you, I guarantee And finally, that last part, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I love this. There's a great tension in this, in this last part of verse 13. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know, a lot of times our ways out, our, our acting out, our ways of escape, and they're sinful. But what God is saying here through Paul is that whatever your possible potential pitfall is, there is a way out There's a godly way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, what's happening is God is giving you a way out, a godly way out so that you can stand and get mature. That standing up refers to maturity. God wants your maturity. He wants you to grow up as a man and woman of God, to walk in that full stature that you have as a co-heir, co-laborer, co-regent with Christ. Right? So there is a way out. You've got to believe it. There is a way out. And I'm believing today, one of the things that we prayed this morning is that as we just prayed that the Holy Spirit was going to give you some real practical things here, that whatever your pitfall is that God's going to show you, here is the way out. And a lot of that might include a dialogue with a trusted friend to say, hey, here's, here's my pitfall. I need to help me explore the way out here. Amen? So what we say today is for every pitfall, God has a promise. Let's put that up on the screen. Let's say that together now. Okay, let's say that. For every pitfall, God has a promise. Yes. Thank you, Tim. Raised hand. Yes. Amen. Well, let's invite the worship team back up. Why don't you guys stand up? And um, we'll invite the Lord into this. What I'm going to invite you to do is, hey, I'm going to invite you in a moment here. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And you just ask him, which one of those pitfalls is the number one for you? Is the number one pitfall the... Uh, just besetting sin, like something that's out of control, kind of carnal flesh, something you can't say no to? Is the, is the sin more a um, jealousy, envy, not being content with who you are, your situation? Or is it this other one, this not being um, content with God's provision in your life, you know? Which one of those? I'm going to give you a moment to ask God which one of those. And then ask God, Lord, what is the way out? How, you know, how are you giving me a way out so I can stand up under it? Okay. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Thank you for your word. And even as Paul indicated, we have this word so that we can be happy, so that we can obey, so that we can not be caught unawares by the pitfalls that are rather predictable when you look over the whole arc of history. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you in and we ask you to examine our hearts just in the quietness of this moment. Which one of these pitfalls gets us? Is it our, do we test you because we're unsatisfied with your provision at this moment? Not really trusting that down the line, whether it's a few months from now, a few years from now, or ultimately in heaven, that we will be provided for. Or is it that pitfall? Do we find ourselves jealous, envious of other people and their circumstances or their power or their influence or whatnot? Their circumstances. Show us.
Or Lord, finally, are we um, out of control? Is there a part of our fleshly nature, whether it has to do with our appetites or our sexuality, something that's just out of control? Unbecoming of a follower of Jesus. Help us. Thank you. Holy Spirit. We just ask, show us the way out. If like the people of Israel, they just had to separate themselves from that object of idolatry, you know, that calf had to be ground into dust. Lord, show us what it means in our lives to separate ourselves from the object of our affection that is illicit. Lord, if we are unhappy with your provision, show us to look to Christ as the people looked at the bronze snake and were healed. So we look to you. Show us how, what it looks like practically in our lives to look to Christ as our provision in the midst of our felt need. And Lord, if we are jealous, envious of other people's influence, position, power, or life situation, Lord, thank you for the censor of prayer. The Lord, just draw us into prayer. Let us pour out our hearts before you. Let us find you in that place of pouring out our complaint before you in submission to you and not in anger, not with raised fist, but with bended knee, saying, Lord, help me here. My heart's hurting. you Holy Spirit just as we remain with heads bowed and eyes closed I just want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus you've never made a commitment to be a follower of Christ I just invite you to raise your hand now boldly I'm not going to embarrass you I just want to lead you in a prayer so that you can become a Christian a follower of Jesus is there anyone here at all I'm going to give you that opportunity today Again, there's nothing magic in the prayer that will give you to pray, but if your heart is sincere before the Lord, he'll honor you turning to him. Anyone here at all? If you're here today and asking that question, hey, God, are you real? I should encourage you to talk to someone who has come with you, someone near you, and just ask them what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Lord, we love you. We surrender our hearts to you. I'm going to, this altar is open. If you want to come up and just deal with one of these pitfalls before the Lord, please, the altar is open. I'm, I'll, advise, I'll ask some of our faith group leaders to be available to pray for people as they come up here. But let's continue worshiping him. Just respond to him as you see fit. And the last thing I'll say, last couple things, sorry, is this. So just remember that Paul, you know, he wrote this to the Corinthians because he was so jealous for them not to be surprised by the pitfalls but to be ready for them you know by his grace by the grace of God we can avoid them so you just know that's God's heart today you know the exciting thing about this is that we can get free and as we were praying before the service we had several people kind of get senses of the Lord wanting to set you free today someone mentioned Romans 8 you know if God's for us who can be against us another mentioned Jesus' smile and Jesus' heart that he wants his children to know you and me that he delights in us that um his good pleasures on you, you know? And someone else mentioned um, Luke 4.18 where Jesus stands up and reads from Isaiah 60 saying the Spirit of the Lord is on you to proclaim freedom today. Just all these things kind of, we feel like God's wanting to proclaim freedom over you today. Besides that, we also had a word for a lower back and a left hip. 
So if your lower back is in pain or your left hip hurts, please come up and we want to pray for you and expect God to heal you. We love you, Lord. This is your church. You're the king. You're the head. Um, You're the Lord of hosts. So Jesus, come walk among us by your spirit. Do the healing. Do the touching. Do the forgiving. Um, Do the setting free, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.